Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. This time is my cohort in crime here is Debbie Snow Walsh. Hey, Debbie. How are you, Denise? I'm so glad to be here again. I know, I know. We always have such interesting things. And sometimes I wish you guys could be part of the pre-call because we laugh so hard. My jaws hurt now. (laughs) (laughs) Stories of how we're working with other individuals or past stories of individuals as we prepare for this. We're going to talk about today the real cost of turnover. You know what? And I know that some of you are rolling your eyes back saying, hasn't it been talked to death? Everybody talks about the cost of turnover. But I think when people have, at least what I see in the media, social media, and also articles, they're really talking about the cost and time it takes invested to um, hire somebody, the recruiting costs, the cost that's invested in the fact that you don't get work done, sunk cost that, you know, how does it affect some of the people in there, uh, in your company, et cetera. But we want to take it from a little bit different because, as you know, Debbie is a builder of organization and a talent executive. She's been focusing on DEI and thought and view, and her passion is really about bringing the best talent together. Currently, she's at Brown & Brown Insurance Company, where she serves as the insurance, insurance company's head of talent. She has worked across both as a um, executive search consultant, she's had her own business, and has come inside again. And so she's been in and out, in and out. And so she gets to see it from both sides. So between the two of us, both of us have been in and out over, I'm only going to admit to 20 years that we know each other because um, <laughs> we're just too gorgeous not to to say another day, okay? So we've seen it on both sides. From the search side, we've also seen it from the consulting side and the coaching side, but we've also seen it from working inside companies. So Today, we're going to talk about it from a different angle, and I hope that you will give us some feedback on that. And oh, by the way, don't forget to like and or subscribe. It really helps me get the word out, and your help is always, always, always appreciated. So Debbie, we're talking about high turnover. I guess there are probably some people who have never heard about what type turnover is and how we measure it and all those other things. Can you give us a 30 second, uh, well, not 30 second, three minute tutorial on turnover? How do we calculate the rate? All, you know, just the basics of it. Well, turnover has to do with hiring wrong. I mean, that's the that's the bottom line. It means you you either didn't do your homework, weren't clear on what you wanted to hire, thought you had needed to hire one thing when really you needed to hire something else, or 
not your fault at all. The business changed or the industry changed and you hired for what it was supposed to be and it turned out to be something else. So the cost of it, I think, Denise, is, is we kind of pre-worked this. The cost of it is not just the financial cost of having to do, if you're doing it outside, pay a search fee again or pay a contingency fee again to some kind of a recruiter or an agency, but it's the cost inside and that's emotional cost. Mm -hmm. If you hire wrong and you need to terminate or the person quits either way, there's an emotional cost to you yourself, the hiring leader, to the person that quits or gets fired, an emotional cost to them because we're playing with their lives. There's an emotional cost to your team of people because they see that perhaps the person was the wrong fit. Uh, why did you hire that person in the first place is the, you know, is the mm-hmm. thought process that goes from mm-hmm. the team. And there's an emotional cost to them because they either lose uh, faith in your ability to hire or your ability to lead or they lose faith in themselves in their ability to integrate with a new uh, with a new employee coming on. And the bigger picture from the bigger organization is loss of credibility. Mm-hmm. You made a bad hire or you made the wrong hire. Uh, and that leads to how did you interview for that hire? What did you say to the person that was coming in? What were your expectations? What were their expectations? And it really comes down to preparing for filling a role. So other than all the bad things that happen, the cost is, you know, the cost can be converted into a winning environment to hire right for the role. And how do we go about that process of hiring a new employee for an open position or for a newly formulated position? You know, to break it down, it's one of these, the best question I can ask why why should you care about turnover? Because most people just bake it in as the cost of doing business, you know. But the reason you ought to care about it is ask yourself, do you like conflict? I mean, it's simple because right. hiring right. the wrong person, the turnover creates conflict in your organization. And so the question becomes, do you like conflict? And if you like conflict, and this is probably not a good topic for you because you are causing that conflict. All the things that you talked about from reputational damage, from how it how it makes the manager feel, how the other team members may feel, you're either getting passive aggressive behaviors or you're getting overly aggressive behaviors and comments out of this. And so the, for me, it's always of how much pain do you like in your organization? And I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of time for a lot of pain. Yeah. You know, I, first of all, you want to work, you want to live, you want to be part of a family, whether it's the family that you were born with, the family that you made with your friends or the family that you have at work. We work in familial organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So who wants to go to work in an organization that's constantly under conflict? No, it's waking up and Mm -hmm. that that requires a lot of energy, mm-hmm. a lot of stamina, a mm-hmm. lot of time, mm-hmm. and it prevents you from accomplishing oh, whatever. Yeah, it prevents you from accomplishment. Yeah, and you know, I've I've uh, I've said this before. You know, if we were all doing it like the Jesuits for the glory of God, we'd be great. But we're doing it for money to make money, make money for the organization, make money for the market, make money for you know our employees, make money for our shareholders. You need to have a lot of energy. And your time is limited. And conflict is just the largest energy drain I can think of. 
and and people may or may not see it because most of us are very polite. I say all the time, we are all taught to be very, very polite. And the people that we target are the people who are not polite. And they bring up things from, from, you know, hey, you didn't do this or you don't like that. Well, that's being a bit impolite because the, the way we normally do is we smile and we nod and then we go and kick the dog. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about it that way, and it, it's, it's interesting because even off camper camp or off um, off the podcast, one of the things I was sharing with you is this organization I'm currently working in, where what they did was they hired an entire management team, seven out of eight of the managers, all of them were um, high altruistic on the assessment. And they were low in power, which basically meant they were self-sacrificing and pushovers, which means that anytime there is a hint of conflict, these folks are folding like, uh, you know, a, a, a piece of paper. They're just not going to deal with conflict. And management often means having to tell people and hold people accountable for doing the work. Well, guess what? These managers, in addition to not having good basic management skills, but they, the personality was one in which they had learned it's better to do the work or not get the work done and not follow up on it because it was all about conflict. It was all about telling someone what to do, and they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so thank God they're in an industry and a market that they make money in spite of themselves, because otherwise it's a done deal and we'd be closing doors. And let's look at how we can make sure that the managers that are in place are hiring correctly yeah. and kind of what happens in a good hiring environment. So you don't end up with conflict. So you don't end up losing, uh, you know, a person, a good person that you want to keep again, either they leave on their own or you're firing them because you made a bad hire. And, yeah, what and, that, you and, know, what and that's that exactly, that's a great point because the, the turnover in this company was directly tied to when we did the analysis, um, when I worked with them to do the analysis, all of their top performers were leaving in less than three months. The mediocre performers or the people who were okay out of it were leaving within seven months. And so all of their turnover was being driven because they didn't like the management team or the management style. And people do choose to stay or to go based on what they see from their manager. Yeah. The interview is a, has a great opportunity to give the overall picture. And you want to ask questions of the candidate to make sure you make a big hire. But always remember in this market, and the market's changed dramatically. We've talked about it several times over the last more than a year we've been doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. You are being interviewed by the candidate mm -hmm. as much as you are interviewing the candidate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they will choose to accept or reject you based on what you have to say about the company and what your standards are and the management style that you have. And that's reality. Yeah. And so what's interesting is they were getting these great candidates because they did have a great story about the company, the mission, the service, all of that. Now, on the management side, if we're putting together behavioral interviews, because I am the whole form and doing the STAR method and all those things like that, what would be questions that knowing that me, because now they know I don't really like conflict, what are good questions to ask so that I know that this person and I can, I can manage this person well? 
Well, I think the important thing is for you to be prepared. My experience has been in the past, mm-hmm. not in this market, but in the past, hiring leaders, wherever they are in the organization, interviewing for a $30,000 job or a $500,000 job. Look at the look at the resume of the person, approve that they want to see the person. And the next time they look at that resume is when their hands on the doorknob walking into the interview. So it has to do with time and it mm-hmm. has to do with making time for this. So you need to be able to review the resume before the interview, have some questions that you want to ask that are specific to skills. But again, skills is the easiest thing to hire yep. for. Yep. But why? Why you got from point A to point B? There are four words I never use. I and many of my colleagues, whether they be internal hiring leaders or whether they be external search partners, consider them to be the hallmark of a lazy interview. And those four words are, tell me about yourself. Because it means I don't have any information about you and I need time to find out what you're going to tell me so that then I can formulate some questions. Oh, You haven't prepared. It's also the four words that every candidate loathes hearing. Mm -hmm. and is terrified of, Mm -hmm. and why create conflict for the candidate before you start the interview? Mm -hmm. The object of the interview, in my opinion, the object of the interview is to have a pleasant discussion of your background and how you fit and my company and how I fit with what your goals are and what my goals are. Mm -hmm. I need you to produce something for me. You need me to teach you something. So Mm -hmm. you move up, and I get my goals accomplished. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a mutual beneficial discussion. Mm -hmm. And to get to that, if you're prepared, you know, and the very first thing is, and I would say that the the most important is for the hiring leader to decide who on their staff is going to interview. So it's going to be, you know, four people, let's say, right, before you Mm -hmm. make a decision or come to make a decision. Mm -hmm. So those four people have to be in a room alone together for an hour. And each one of them has to say what their top three is for this job. Top three, what does that mean? Skills or personality or some combination thereof. Okay. I need them to be accredited from XYZ. I need them to to be, you know, from a top 20 college. I need them to be here in the particular location. I need them to uh, have background in whatever our organization does, whatever our industry does. I need them to be part of some other association. I'm just giving you options. But when you come to four people with their top three, if those top three don't match, you're all interviewing for the different thing. And mm-hmm. if you're interviewing for different things, you're not going to pick the same candidate because mm-hmm. you're not in alignment yourselves yeah. on what you want and what yeah. you're interviewing for. So once you get through that hour meeting that the hiring leader should run, I mean, ultimately, it's the hiring leader that sets the goals for what things have to be, you know, what has to happen for the candidates. So now let's say you picked accreditation, you picked uh, that they had to come out of your industry, Mm -hmm. and you picked that you didn't care where they were located, they could be remote. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now you've got an opportunity to look at candidates and say, well, that guy's out because, you know, he doesn't have accreditation or he's got the first accreditation, but not the second accreditation. This woman is out because she's worked in peripherally around our industry, but she's never worked actually in our industry. She's worked with other kinds of things. So you have, you know, a top three. So once you've decided on what those 
backgrounds have to be, then it's what's the interview. So you Mm -hmm. look at all four people are going to look at the same resumes and they're going to decide what questions they're they're going to ask about that. It might be, why did you, you know, you're working currently, right? You're working currently for ABC company. Tell me how you got from the company before to the company you're with. Okay, well, I was recruited in, might be one answer. And and why did you listen to the recruiter? Yeah. Might be a question you ask. Why did you listen to a recruiter that wanted to talk to you? Or maybe not the recruiter, but why did you listen to the person from the organization that called you? Yeah. Um, Another question might be, tell me why you started in this industry and moved to our industry. Mm -hmm. What caused you to make that change? Mm -hmm. I always like to know, tell me about, and these are questions I always ask, tell me about a company, an organization that you worked for where you felt you could do your best work. Was it because of a boss? Was Mm -hmm. it because of the company? Was Mm -hmm. it because of the work that you were doing? Was it because of a mentor that you had? What caused you, you know, think about it. It's a, Mm -hmm. and and, you know, I have that candidate take, you know, take a breath. Mm -hmm. Think about an opportunity that you had that you just loved, that you felt you did your best work when you worked for that company. And Mm -hmm. then stop talking Mm -hmm. and let the candidate talk. Mm -hmm. And the answer that you get from that question is what the candidate values Mm -hmm. from an environment what the candidate values from a boss, Mm -hmm. what the candidate values from teammates or colleagues. Mm -hmm. You get that without having to ask a whole bunch of other questions. You get very specific examples. Mm -hmm. The other specific example I want, and it has to do with the hiring leader needing to know, is a demonstrable example of what you accomplished and what that accomplishment meant for the company. Because we work for the company. We're not working for somebody else. So if you come to work for me, you have to produce something that was a real accomplishment for the company, whether it was dollars and cents. You know, I, as a salesperson, was number one, you know, for three years in a row, or with the easiest thing to, you know, Mm -hmm. to identify, or as a more ethereal people kind of cultural thing. I was able to get people to understand why it was important to move this project forward, Mm -hmm. why it was important to have this leadership. I made people stronger at interviewing. I made people stronger at conflict resolution. Those kinds of things, they're subtle, but you'll get those answers. And that will take you to where a culture that really values this or not important to us. What's important to you is not important to us. Right. And then you know that it's not the right fit. Right. That's what fit is. Mm-hmm. Will you be able to work in our environment? If we're a total numbers organization and we have, while well, we, you know, we're human and we want you to be cared for and want you to be taken care of, but we are not an organization that values the things you value, not a good fit. Move on. Right. Right. And, you know, and I think that's the hardest thing um, for candidates to take is that they get the rejection, they don't pass the interview, et cetera. And it's all about fit for the most part. It's very rarely about skills. 
Um, right. Particularly after you get through the first series and you're in the second series of, of interviews and whatnot, it really is the questions in the manager's mind and the organization's mind of based on how we currently work, will you be happy? Right. Will you and be will productive? we be happy? And will we be happy? Yeah. Will we be happy with what you're producing for us? I had a, a recent example of a candidate that I thought was exceptional. I had, you know, my goal always, whether I'm doing it inside or outside, is to produce three or four exceptional candidates, any of whom can do the job, any of whom fit in the top three of the hiring mm-hmm. group or the top four of the hiring group, any of whom have the credentials. They've got it all. It's a question of fit. Right. And one candidate, because in their discussion with the hiring leader, mentioned a methodology of reviewing some kind of business plan, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so they got into a deep conversation about that one thing. And there were two finalists. And the other candidate was rejected because she did not ever bring that up. And what the hiring leader said to me is, you know, he went right to some examples And I said, but he went to write to the example that you kind of led him to because Mm -hmm. you were talking about this. You and she weren't talking about this. How Mm -hmm. does she know to bring it up? Mm -hmm. Because she's got the same credentials and the same. She didn't know that that was something that was important. Yes, but he did. I said, what, by get struck by the Holy Spirit or what? (laughs) You know, know, how did he know that? He didn't know that unless you led. Yeah, that conversation. Well, she got rejected. He got hired. And it's always something that simmers with me. And this isn't a recent one. I've got lots of older ones, but that's Mm -hmm. a recent one, you know, Mm -hmm. that when we lead a candidate and not consciously, but you develop a rapport with the candidate and you lead the candidate to be able to tell you something because now you're in the throes of the interview and you're comfortable with the candidate Mm -hmm. and you have a back and forth and a rapport and you ask a question that was simmering that maybe you didn't even think of before, mm-hmm. but now you asked it and he gave the right answer. Mm-hmm. How do you get to that relationship with the mm-hmm. candidate? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works that it happens two or three times. I hope it happens two or three times with candidates. And then you have hiring leaders that want to save every puppy in the pound. Yeah, <laughs> can't make a decision. I have, I have dealt with a, with one in particular, a very senior leader, not in my organization now, but a very senior leader from a very large fortune 20 corporation who's well-known. He's Mm -hmm. a, he's a person that's well-known. And I get to say, you can't save every puppy in the pound. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and exactly your same thing started to laugh. And he said, but I like them all. I said, you can't have them all. (laughs) You can't afford them all for one. It's not in your budget. I said, that's like saying every girl you date, you're going to marry. You can't, you got to choose, you know, Mm -hmm. you got to choose the best fit. And again, a very seasoned, a very Mm -hmm. knowledgeable, a Mm -hmm. very famous leader can't do it. And so that's another piece of hiring, right, is that you do have to be able to make some decisions about what will work. And you hope that when you're hiring, you're hiring for the bigger, broader organization, as well as for your particular role. And I really want people to hire for the next role. So I'm not hiring for the senior vice president in charge of looking out the window. I'm hiring for the executive vice president in charge of looking out the window. Right. So that's what they're going to be doing now. What are they going to be doing in two to three years? And or can they be 
loose enough, and I don't mean loose in a in a bad term, but can they be flexible? Uh, flexible and not transactional, but flexible enough to move into other areas of our company and still do great things for us. Yeah. Because they bring a different perspective. Yeah. People that understand, once they get in there, understand the business, understand mm-hmm. business for one, mm-hmm. then understand our business, mm-hmm. understand our industry, how we fit into it. Can we move them? Can we rotate them? I'm big on rotation because Mm -hmm. if we're inflexible and we're hiring SMEs every place, subject matter experts every place, we need subject matter experts in particular areas, but we also need people that are business people that can float and rotate and move and flex to the places that are open. Otherwise, when you have Makisha that goes on maternity leave and she's a senior vice president in charge of looking out the window. Where am I going to, what am I going to do when she's gone for 12 weeks? Yeah. Or more. Who's filling her role? Right. And somebody does get hit by a bus, mm-hmm. whether that bus is cancer or whether mm-hmm. the bus is an accident, mm-hmm. who's going to step into that? And we've all lived through CEOs that have had some tragic ends and who's going to fit in, mm-hmm. who's going to step into those roles. So mm-hmm. You know, that's my that's my belief for hiring right so that we're not worried about retention. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that I um, I encourage as a as a coach and counselor on when they're hiring somebody, particularly more senior executives and whatnot. Tell me how you're going to manage to change aspect of you coming in. Because I can guarantee you somebody in that group wanted your job, probably whispered that they wanted that job. <laughs> Yes. But didn't get that job. So you've got to deal with the resentment of that particular person. Then there's other individuals who uh, we've been doing this right all along. I don't know what you're coming in here telling me what to do for. And there was a reason why you got hired um, or will be hired out of it. So the board saw something. The The CEO saw something. The SVP of looking out the window saw something that they felt was coming down the pike and they needed that particular specialty. How will you come into this organization that help other individuals make the change? And I think today that's probably one of the most strategic questions somebody can ask because we're. I, I predict and you know that in in 10 cents won't buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks but i predict that over the next 10 years the biggest impact on every business regardless of whether you're the mom and pop on the corner or you're the fortune 100 or fortune number 1 this idea of uh, learn, learn learning generative um uh, ai it's going to change everything and it's changing things at the speed of light. And yes. if you can't get an organization of people who have been sedentary, not used to having changed that fast, you're going to always be playing catch up or you're going to be behind the curve. I think I that is the that has got to be the most strategic question that we have to start asking is how are you going to do it? And if your team doesn't know how to manage change, then you gotta you got you gotta pump that up because it is it is going it is the game changer. I don't know how it's going to affect your industry, but you better be planning that having helping your organization, helping the people in your organization understand how to learn and move forward. If you're going to um, be having an organization that survives, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. We don't know exactly how it's going to change, but we know it will change. Yep the person the person that stands in front of you that asks all those questions. I could have done her job 
I don't know why they didn't come to me. I've been here 25 years. Yep. We've always done it this way. I mean, go on with the script. That will never work because Mm -hmm. this is not who we are. Mm -hmm. We do things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Our industry is different. Your industry is not different. Mm -hmm. Your industry is only different in the fact that it has different people and different experts in it. Mm -hmm. When I would hear that from people saying, well, you don't have any industry background, therefore, I don't think you can consult. Every business has basic business things that have to be done. Leadership has to be at the top of the game. The leaders have to understand that they are at the top of the game and they need to be. And if they can't, they need to move over and let someone else who is at the top of their game move into it. Yeah. You know, it's not a question of, you know, I say this to people all the time, you know, when you're dealing with recruiters, one of the measurements is how fast you bring a candidate in. Why would I care about that? Mm -hmm. What I care about is how long they stay and Mm -hmm. did they fit? Mm -hmm. Because if you bring them in in 60 60 days and they leave 60 days after that, you've hired Mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. Everybody involved in it hired wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's a bigger problem than how fast the person got into the organization. Yeah. It's a misnomer. That's not what we want to judge. That's not what we want to measure. So, yes, I agree with you. Couldn't agree with you more. If you can't change and deeper than that, if you can't transform. Yeah. There are some really deep issues, and there's a difference between changing policy yep. and transfer yep. processes, yep. Yep. changing, transforming an organization from yep. only doing this, mm-hmm. you know, only you blinders, see, on. blinders on, blinders on, blinders on, only in your lane, stay in your lane. How much yep. have we heard that over the last 10 years? Stay in your right. lane. If you can't understand that staying in your lane means either that the lane has to turn and change. Yep. Or that you have to be able to focus on what else is close to your lane, but mm-hmm. not in your lane, that mm-hmm. you can affect transformation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. And that's what's facing. That's what the CEOs are being, I believe, keeping, you know, keeping them up at night is how yes. to transform the company from the way we've always done it, which mm-hmm. got us to where we are. It's great. Mm-hmm but it's not going to be great later on. You've heard me say this. I probably say it on every podcast we do. It's that Wayne Gretzky quote, skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where the puck is. Mm -hmm. So we're here. We need to be able to go there. And still big mystery. What's AI going to do for every specific industry? And it's not just AI. It's just, you know, agent of change. You know, it's Mm -hmm. an old 80s term, but I believe it's Mm -hmm. what leadership has to look at. You know, changing business, mm-hmm. our business, our mm-hmm. company, changing customer techs. Yeah. You know, changing industry, changing economy. Mm-hmm. How does the economy affect us? Mm-hmm. We've seen that all over the place. How did COVID affect? Not mm-hmm. one business is the same, doing business the same way they did mm-hmm. as the way they're doing it now. Mm-hmm. And the changing world order. You know, when there were threats of China being the number one, not the US being the number one, a lot of real hiccups and a lot of businesses about that. Well, retail, how do we do the shopper experience? Because taste got changed. They, no matter what you say, a, a customer's taste got changed from delivery to faster orders to, you know, how long do I wait? I'm from the pre-COVID where quality was important. Now I'm post-COVID and I'm seeing quality of clothes, quality of, of food, everything. It's not what it used to be. And so now do I change my taste and pay the same or higher rate or what, what does that look like? And I think that because customers' expectations have changed, 
that's driving it also. I mean, it just is getting to the point that people are more electronic. We can we can moan and groan over, you know, all they do is text, all they want is an email, all they want is an automated message out of it. We can groan and moan over that's what it is, or we can say, you know what, that is the new wave. How are we going to step up to be able to match the expectations of our customers so that they will be loyal to us in the face of all the competition that's coming up. And that's a great point. It's not just the current competition. How have our competitors changed? And how have the rankings of our competitors changed? And who has come into our space that wasn't a competitor three years ago? And now they're a competitor. Yeah. You and I are both old enough. This isn't so old, but we're both old enough to remember when Amazon was a bookstore. Yep. Amazon started out as being able to meet the needs of people who wanted to buy books mm-hmm. fast and mm-hmm. cheap. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing they did. Zappos started out as an online shoe store. Yep. They hired the people at LL Bean, is what I heard, to teach them customer service. I don't know if it's true or not, but that was the, you know, that was mm-hmm. the going, the going uh, thought process out there because mm-hmm. LL Bean always had the best customer service. But there are things that started that are not what they are. That's what I mean about staying in your lane. Yep. Amazon never told us they weren't going to stay in the book lane. They just went outside of books. Yeah. And now they do everything. There isn't yeah. anything that you wouldn't go to Amazon first before you go to your local X store. Yeah, just to see what their price is. Yeah. Sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Mm-hmm. The airline industry. I mean, every single industry you can think of: airlines, other transportation, the post office, because mm-hmm. of emails and mm-hmm. you know and texts, um, stationery stores, mm-hmm. uh, how we pay for stamps, how mm-hmm. we buy gas, how we bank. I mean, everything you can think of is different and. Hiring is different too. Mm-hmm. I was giving a giving a presentation. I was pretty adamant that I wanted people to come in for a learning so that they visually be able to see. And one of our people said, "But Debbie, we don't hire that way." And it was like an aha. Uh-huh. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. We hire on Teams calls. Mm-hmm. It isn't until we're ready to make the actual offer. And honestly, I I never had a face to face before I got an offer. Mm-hmm. And many of our people don't, even at the very senior level. Mm-hmm. Did we hire off of a computer, off of mm-hmm. a laptop, off of mm-hmm. a tablet? Mm-hmm. That's how we interview. Yeah. Yeah. Changes everywhere. So if you had to boil it down to just a couple things that people ought to really be thinking about as they're listening to this, because this idea of turnover is so intricately tied to, I mean, if you don't walk away with, from my perspective, if you don't walk away with anything else. You have to understand that turnover is what fuels your business. How much change you're going to be facing and turnover causes that change to accelerate more. And when you have to make choices around, you know, whether you feel some fill the job, don't fill the job, how you do it, deal with the fact that Denise quit yesterday and now we don't have anybody to do all the work that Denise did. There's conflict, there is loss of productivity. There's a cost, a hidden cost of emotional labor that's in there. What is the one or two things that you think through that we ought to really be paying attention to in the face of we're changing how we do work? I think the number one for me is be prepared to hire right. You eliminate an issue around retention if you've hired right. Mm -hmm. Things that you can control. 
Mm -hmm. be prepared for the interviews, ask the right questions, make sure that the people that are going to be interviewed are prepared as prepared as you are and be prepared for what you expect that person to do now and what you expect them to be doing in two years. So hire right is the first thing that I would say. The, uh, The second thing is know your team and know the kinds of things that you want from a person coming in from the outside mm-hmm. and know the kinds of things that will expand your team mm-hmm. and deepen your team and mm-hmm. deepen the ability of your team to do more, to get mm-hmm. out of the lane mm-hmm. and expand into peripheral things that are around them for the good of the company. Mm-hmm. I would say those two things are the most important to eliminate Um, having to worry about retention. People don't come ask you about what your retention rate is if you've got a super team that's producing and operating on all four cylinders. They don't ask you about retention. They don't come to talk to you about why that's a problem. It's not a problem because you hire right and because your team is cohesive. People don't leave you for whatever. And you know, this is another point I try to make with people. People don't leave for $50 a paycheck. They leave for a mortgage payment. So if you have someone who comes to you and offers one of your people the equivalent of their rent mm-hmm. or their equivalent of their mortgage payment on a mm-hmm. monthly basis, of course, they're going to leave yeah. and you wish them well. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford to match that, let them go. Yeah. And let them go gladly and do everything you can to stay close to them so they'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. But if you had that opportunity in your budget to go mm-hmm. someplace for a mortgage payment or a rent payment, God bless you. Do it. All right, guys, you heard it here first. We're here every Thursday. You can always call, uh, reach out to Debbie. Her um, information is in the show notes. And with that, see ya. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.